0: invite you to please rise for our call to worship. For the call to worship, I'll be reading Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness, and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how great and glorious and wonderful you are. You are righteous. You are holy. You are good. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. That we, through repentance and faith, through the new birth of the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, through his atoning work on the cross, that we could be credited his righteousness. Oh, how glorious and how wonderful. Father, we pray that you'd enable us to give you all thanks, praise, glory, and honor now and forevermore. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to sing with me number 247. We praise you, O God, our Redeemer, Creator. for in preparation of our time of confession of sin and declaration of pardon I will be reading from the law I'll be reading from Jeremiah chapter 10 verses 14 through 16. Jeremiah chapter 10, starting at verse 14. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless a work of delusion, at the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how good and gracious and loving you are. Father, again, how amazing is your grace and mercy to us. While we were yet sinners, enemies to you, holding you in derision with nothing but enmity, rebellion, and hatred of you and your word. Creating idols, chasing after the things of creation, the things of this fallen world, rather than desiring you and your truth. While we were in such a state, dead, enslaved, when we had rendered ourselves worthless, through lies and deceptions, you pierced our darkness with the light of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, crucified, He as our righteousness, He as our holiness, where forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption can be found in Him. So Father, we thank you that you have brought us from death to life, from spiritual blindness to sight, from spiritual deafness to hear your gospel, from hard hearts to hearts to believe, from minds that had no understanding to grow and understand your grace, mercy, and love for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, knowing the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, in your grace, we take this time to confess to you those idols that we continue to cling to, continue to hold to, those false things, those delusions... That we continue to believe in part. Oh, Father, we pray that you would continue in your grace and mercy to sanctify us, to strip away those idols within our hearts and minds, so that we would look to you, desire you, and give you and you alone all praise, glory, and honor. So, Father, we want to take this time to confess to you in our hearts and minds those sins of thought, word, and action. And those idols that continue to trip us up. Father, we lift these up to you now in our hearts and in our minds. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that in your Son, Jesus Christ, there is complete forgiveness and pardon of sin. For those who have been made alive with the gifts of repentance and faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that we have been adopted, and you love us dearly. Father, we thank you for the glorious promise found in Romans 4, 6 through 8, for those who are saved. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will will not count his sin. Know this, that if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are blessed with the eternal blessing and love of your Heavenly Father. In Christ's name, amen. For our confession of faith, I'd like you to please rise and read with me. You'll find this in your bulletin. Romans chapter 4. Verses 13 through 17. Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You may be seated. Let us go into our time of prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how wonderful it is to know that we can trust you. You, you are our fortress, our strength, our strong tower. You who created the heavens and earth and all that filled them. Oh, Father, you are all-powerful, all-sovereign, all-knowing. So, Father, we pray that you would continue to remind us, continue to grow us in understanding that we can trust you in all things, that we could place all our faith, all our hope, all our confidence in your Son, Jesus Christ, that through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that we have been set free from sin, death, the devil, that we no longer have any condemnation or wrath, for you have made us your children. So, Father, we pray that in this freedom you would continue to grow us to sanctify us, to discipline us, that we would grow up into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, for he has promised to guide us and lead us. Father, we thank you that for those who have your love in your Son, Jesus Christ, that there is nothing that can separate us from that love. Oh, Father, how wonderful and good you are. So, Father, we do pray that you would continue, continue to fix our eyes on your Son, Jesus Christ, to things above, not things below. This world is perishing. The things of this world are perishing. So, Father, we pray that you'd fix our eyes on your Son, Jesus Christ, who has ascended. He's at your right hand, interceding on our behalf. Father, we pray that you help us to think of things above. Oh, Father, we pray that as you continue to use us in this world as ministers of reconciliation, proclaiming your gospel, displaying your love, Father, we pray that our blessed hope would always be fixed and centered on the return of your Son, Jesus Christ, the new heaven and new earth, the Zion, heavenly Zion. Oh, Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ through the world, those who are in the midst of persecution, opposition, those who are in areas where there are wars and terror continues to reign, where there's devastation. Oh, Father, we pray for your church. We pray for your church in Afghanistan, Iran and Iraq, Syria. Father, we pray for your church in North Korea. Father, I pray again for the church in northern Nigeria experiencing such hostility, and conflict from from Islamic extremists of the north, continuing to raid villages. Father, we pray that you will help those churches, grow them in your strength, fix them in your love, help them, O oh Lord. Father, we do pray that you would just continue to lead us and guide us, help us, Lord, to be bold in proclaiming your gospel, lifting it up. Oh, Father, we pray that you will help us to pick up our cross and follow. Help us to fear no one or nothing of this world, but to look to you and your love. Father, we do pray for those who are in positions of power and authority over us. We pray for wisdom and guidance and understanding. Father, we lift up to you those who... Lead within our church here, Father, we lift up to you those who serve in so many ways. Father, that that you would lead and guide us in your word and truth, that we would hunger and desire for you and seek about doing your work of equipping the saints for ministry. Oh Father, we pray that you'd unify our congregation of one heart and one mind, striving side by side for the gospel. Father, we pray that you would protect us from the many wolves and false teachers and false teachings seeking to bring division, confusion, deception. Oh, Father, we pray that you would focus our hearts and minds on the authority of your word breathed out by you. For there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one gospel of your son, Jesus Christ crucified, one authority, your word. So, Father, we pray that you'd continue to grow our hunger and desire to know your word, speak your word, live according to your word, through the power of the indwelt Holy Spirit. Father, we do continue to pray for those who are in a time of need. Father, we do continue to lift up to you the Ocampo family for continued healing and strength for them, for recovery. Father, we pray for Alex, for his illness, for healing and strength and comfort. Father, we pray for Marsha and Doug. Father, we pray that you continue to comfort and strengthen them. Help them, O Lord. Just continue to fix their hearts and minds and eyes on your son, Jesus Christ. Grow them in your peace. Father, we just look to you. We thank you for your grace and mercy and love. And it is knowing your grace that we say the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing to look at Isaiah 54. So I invite you to please rise. And you will find Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 4, in your bulletin. I invite you to read that along with me. We are able to look at Isaiah 54, verse 1, last Sunday, and this Sunday, Lord willing, we will look at verses 1 through 4, this whole section, giving this great glorious reality of God who gives birth. So Isaiah 54, starting at verse 1. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father. How amazing are your promises. How tremendous is your goodness. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. It is breathed out by you. Inerrant, infallible all authoritative. Father, we thank you that your word is all sufficient. It is truth, living and active, life-giving through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us in this time, that you would give us discernment and wisdom, that we may know the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, and be set free. In Christ's glorious name, Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, we were able to look at verse 1. We see where verse 1 of Isaiah 54 goes from the great, high, glorious passage of Isaiah 52, verse 12, through Isaiah 53, verse 13. And then that high, great, glorious passage of the Old Testament, you see the great, glorious reality of Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus Christ crucified. The only hope, the only way of life eternal life, peace, forgiveness, everything that is good and right, the only means of the great and glorious promises of God is in, by, and through this servant who will be pierced, crushed, who will bear the iniquities, who will pay for the transgressions, who will drink down the full cup of the wrath of his heavenly father, so that not a drop is left for those who receive his righteousness, who receive his holiness. Credited, imputed, reckoned to those who deserve nothing but the holy, just wrath of God. This is the great glorious reality of Isaiah 52 (laughs) Isaiah 52, verse 12, and through Isaiah 53, verse 13. So what's amazing about this, as we looked at last time, is what is the first word given? What is the command? And what is the response of Isaiah 54 to that great and glorious reality? Sing. Rejoice. Give God all the praise, glory, and honor. Is what's being depicted. Why? Because God has done what only He would and could do. We were dead, we were enslaved, we were in bondage, and as Isaiah 54, verse 1 makes clear, of Israel in and of itself, and of all people, we are barren. To produce any works, any righteousness, any goodness in and of ourselves that would make us right with God. So that's why God receives all praise, all glory, all honor, and that's why we boast in him and in him alone. Because he has done it
1: all.
0: All to him we owe. So that's what Isaiah 54, 1 made clear. Sing, O barren one, O barren one, who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. And we saw that first and foremost, that is speaking of God's people, Israel. Israel who were God creates from an elderly, barren couple. He creates a people, miraculously, and yet they produce children of wickedness and rebellion. So Isaiah 54, one, verse 1, we saw this reality earlier in Isaiah 1. Here in Isaiah 1, the verdict rendered against those who so clearly displayed themselves as barren and as desolate when it came to obedience to God and his covenant. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. First we see where God through his prophet is calling all of creation to testify to this reality. Isaiah chapter one, verse two. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. And here's the verdict of God through Isaiah to Israel. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Verse four Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. They have completely separated, removed, turned away, abandoned the truth of God, who is their heavenly Father. That's what this is depicting. Verse 9, then you have the ultimate verdict rendered. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors. Here's this understanding of the remnant woven throughout the scriptures. This, This remnant. Like Noah and his wife and his three sons and three daughter-in-laws were the only ones spared during the, flood, the, during the flood. That's that remnant. Like Elijah, who thought he was alone, the last follower of God, and God says, no, no. I have kept 7,000 from bending the knee to Baal. That's that remnant. I could go through the wanderings in the wilderness and through it all, you have remaining Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron and the vast majority like corpses lying in the wilderness. You have this understanding of this remnant. And that's what verse nine says. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors. And this is speaking of the coming Babylonian captivity where the vast majority of Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding cities will be destroyed. And the vast majority of people will be put to the sword and there will be but a few survivors that will be left and taken into Babylonian captivity and a few then who will be returned to rebuild. Again, verse 9, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Because of the unrighteousness, idolatry, covenant-breaking rebellion of God's people, none of them deserved eternal life. None of them in and of themselves could keep the law, and could be righteous where they could fulfill the promises of God in their strength and their ability according to their power. That's why verse 10 of Isaiah 1 says, Hear the word of the Lord speaking to his people, you rulers of Sodom, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So last week we looked where Isaiah 54, verse 1, pointed back to Abraham and Sarah, where God was making clear No, I will not bring about my plan of redemption and fulfill my promises through Ishmael. Because Ishmael was your working according to blood, according to the will of the flesh and according to the will of man. Remember, that's John chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. And God makes clear that is not how he works. He does not work through the blood. He does not work through the will of the flesh. He does not work through the will of man, but he works by sending his son. He works by calling and drawing by giving people the gift of repentance and faith. And he's going to do this of every tribe, nation, language, and people. And that's why God says it is through Isaac, the child of the promise, that he will bring about the birth of his people. So again, sing, O barren one, who did not bear. We see where first that's speaking of Abraham and Sarah, but also it's speaking of Israel as a whole. Even though Israel had received the law, they had received the prophets, they had received the covenants and all of God's promises, they could not keep the law. They could not keep the law. In and of themselves, they rendered themselves worthless, helpless, and hopeless through idolatry and immorality. So it's a powerful statement in verse One, when God says, but you will sing, you will sing and cry aloud because though they could not labor and they could not bear, God will send his son to labor for them. It's the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. It's the work of Christ on the cross that brings about the new birth that comes to the Holy Spirit applying the labor of Christ. Christ paying the penalty of the sin. Christ satisfying the holy just wrath of God on behalf of all those whom God will draw and call to be his children. Jesus is the one who labors and the one who bears So it's very powerful in verse 2 when God gives this promise. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. This is amazing imagery for these people. Again, speaking the language of the sojourner, of the pilgrim who are living in tents and saying, your tent will not be big enough. It has to be enlarged. You have to expand it out because this tent which ultimately is the household of God as the New Testament is going to render it, which is ultimately the church of the living God, that this will be so large that it will hold the elect of every tribe, nation, language, and people and be depicted in Revelation beyond our ability to count. God can count it. that's what God can do. It's beyond our comprehension. So here we see this great glorious reality, this promise given in verses two through three. And again, this is a powerful promise because this is where the people who are in the Babylonian captivity, once Babylon comes in and destroys Jerusalem, destroys the cities and villages of Judea, And that few, that remnant are taken into captivity. This is where they would have to have hope and faith. Because this is not what they see during the time. This is not what they will see. And that's where we have this depiction in Jeremiah 10. In Jeremiah 10, we have Jeremiah speaking to those who are under siege during the Babylonian captivity and the walls are about to come tumbling down at Jerusalem and the vast majority of the people are about to be slaughtered and here is Jeremiah's rendering and verdict for the people. Again, this is what we looked at in preparation for confession. Jeremiah 10 verse 14. This is how barren This is how desolate the people of God had become because of their law-breaking. Jeremiah 10, 14. Every man... Here's a word we don't use in our home. Every man is stupid. Very strong language. And without knowledge... Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance the lord of hosts is his name so we hear we have this verdict that because of their idolatry because of their immorality and rebellion the people of judah have rendered themselves worthless through idolatry yet we see a promise in 16 that god has a portion that he has an inheritance And that is by his grace and mercy alone. That is that calling and drawing and preserving a remnant for his glory because otherwise all have sinned and fall short of the glory. There's that promise in verse 16. So in verse 17 of Jeremiah 10, gather up your bundle from the ground, O you who dwell under siege. So here Jerusalem is under siege, about to be destroyed by Babylon. For thus says the Lord, behold, I am slinging out the inhabitants of the land at this time, and I will bring distress on them that they may feel it. Woe is me because of my hurt. This is the response of those who will be thrown out, taken into captivity or scattered in the midst of the destruction. Woe is me because of my hurt. My wound is grievous. That's the cry of those who understand themselves under the just judgment and discipline of a holy God. Woe is me. Verse 20, my tent is destroyed. That's literally what the people We're crying out under siege and as the captivity takes place. My tent is destroyed. So you see what Isaiah is doing. Isaiah is giving them this prophecy, placing this in the hearts and minds of those who will remember, those who will be kept to have hope even in the midst of the most dire devastation and destruction. So again, verse 20, my tent is destroyed. All my cords are broken. All the guidelines that hold the tent up and keep it steady have been cut, slashed. The tent has collapsed. It's utterly destroyed. Speaking of Jerusalem and the people. My tent is destroyed. All my cords are broken my children have gone from me and they are not and there is no one to spread my tent again and to set up my curtains complete absolute destruction and hopelessness that's the cry of Jeremiah 10:20 complete absolute desolation destruction and hopelessness. And yet Isaiah 54, verses one through four, gives a promise, gives a prophecy, and points to the promise and power of God to bring about birth where there is barrenness, to bring about righteousness when there is nothing but unrighteousness. And he's doing this through the servant, the crucified one of Isaiah 52 and 53. That's where this promise and prophecy comes in Isaiah 54. Again, Jeremiah 10, 20, my tent is destroyed and all my cords are broken. My children have gone from me and they are not. There is no one to spread my tent again and to set up my curtains. Verse 21, for the shepherds, so these are depicted as the priest's, the rulers, the teachers, everyone who is supposed to be teaching and equipping the sheep in the ways of God. For my shepherds are stupid. There it is again. What makes them stupid? And do not inquire of the Lord. That's it. They don't look to the Lord. They don't seek the Lord. They don't look to his law. They don't look to his statutes. They don't look to their promises. They come up with their own teachings according to their passion, desires, of their fallen flesh. They come up with delusions and false things according to their corrupted minds and they peddle the people what they want to hear because that sells and they get gain and exploitation from that. That's the rendering of Jeremiah 10. So if that is how bleak things are, and that's how bleak they were under the siege, and once Babylon destroyed the walls, destroyed Judah, and took into captivity, why? Because the people could put no trust in their goldsmiths. They could put no trust and hope in their shepherds. They could put no trust and hope in any of those who are supposed to lead and guide and instruct because they had all become unrighteous. And that's why when you have the promise of Isaiah 54, where God says he alone will bring about righteousness, he alone will shepherd his people, he will send his good shepherd to lead and guide his people in the ways of the Lord. Again, Isaiah 54 just makes clear. It applies the great glorious reality of Jesus Christ crucified and reminds the people, he's your only hope. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only salvation. That's what Isaiah 54 is emphasizing. Yet in the midst of this bleakness due to the deserved destruction of Jerusalem and Judea, Isaiah 54 gives this hope. Yes, your tent is destroyed. Yes, the cords have been broken. Yes, you are childless. Yet, Isaiah 54, 2, he says, enlarge the place of your tent. Verse 3, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. This this was almost too much for the people to believe and understand. That's why we have to go back to Isaiah 49. If you go back to Isaiah 49, you see again where God tells them to sing when they do not feel like singing, where singing is the furthest thing from what they think they could do. That's what's happening here in Isaiah 54.1. They are told to sing because of the crucified one, yet they are in such throes of misery and despair because of their brokenness and the just judgment of God. they, they They can't even open their mouths. Well, we see this earlier. Isaiah 49, verse 13. Here's the last time where God told them to sing. And this was their immediate response. Isaiah 49, verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. And that's what we see being promised in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 of Isaiah 54. God is promising he will comfort he will have compassion. He will fulfill his promises for his people according to his promise of Abraham being the father of every tribe, nation, language, and people of those who have faith. But verse 14 of Isaiah 40, not one, we see the response of the people. Isaiah 49, verse 14, but Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. And the Lord has forgotten me. That was their response. That was their response. They didn't believe God to keep his law and to hold to his statutes and that. They rebelled and turned away to idolatry and immorality. And then when God gives a promise of restoration and comfort and forgiveness in life, they don't believe that either. And they say, no, he just abandoned us. There's no hope. We have nothing but bitterness and destruction and despair. And this is the response of God. Again, verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. So here God is giving a depiction of the most tender, intimate, close relationship that we can perceive in this fallen heaven and earth, that of a a newborn with its mother. But remember, this fallen earth is fallen. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. There's the promise. Even these may forget because the world has fallen and there's sin and twistedness, but God will never forget. And that's what Isaiah 54 verses 1 through 4 is reminding, is calling them to remember, to give them that hope and blessing that because of the servant and of Isaiah 52 and 53, the crucified one, that there will be the fulfillment of God's promise. And there will be a people of every tribe, nation, and language with Abraham as the father of their faith and they will give God all praise, glory, and honor. But ultimately, when we understand Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 4, if you get to verse 4, this is what it's built, building up to. Because as we looked in Isaiah 1 and looked in Jeremiah 10, all that they were left with because of their sin and rebellion was shame, disgrace, and destruction, and reproach. Yet God gives a promise in Isaiah 54, verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Wow. The sorrow will be replaced with joy. The shame will be replaced with the glory of God. That's the great, glorious promise given here. And there is no better illustration of that in the scripture than that of the situation of Ruth and Naomi literally the book of ruth is to illustrate Isaiah 54 verses 1 through 4 the book of ruth is a illustration of the promise of God in Isaiah 54 verse 1 through 4 it's as if you want to see what this looks like well let me give you a picture now and ultimately it's fulfilled in revelation where you see the like the stars of the sky, like the sand of the sea of every tribe, nation, language of people before the throne of God. So Ruth, I encourage you to turn to Ruth chapter one. Literally the book of Ruth is the best illustration and commentary of the promise of God of Isaiah 54 verses one through four. It's all personified, it's all Illustrated here in this great glorious book. So, of course, if you look at Ruth chapter 1, you start at verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her sons and her husband. So she tells the daughters in laws go back, go find husbands amongst your people. My state is hopeless and nothing but devastation. And destruction. Your only hope is to leave me and go find your own way. Verse 11. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your own way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. There it is. She has bitterness. The Lord hand has struck against her. She's lost husband and sons. She has... Nothing. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clinged to her. I love this beautiful. Clinged to her, held her. If, if Naomi's gonna leave, she's gonna be dragging her. I mean, this is, she is holding her in a way that, that she can't shake her off. So she's clinging to her. The physical clinging here is illustrating what the verses are coming. She is going to cling to Naomi and her God and her people with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what takes place here. So verse 15, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Verse 16, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Verse 18, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now you go to Ruth chapter 4. Here's the fulfillment. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. That's literally Isaiah 54, verse, verse one. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing crying loud. For you have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They called him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David.
1: There it is.
0: And what does the offspring look like promised from the father of Abraham through the line of David who sits as the king of kings and lord of lords? Again, Revelation 7, starting at verse 9. This is how big the tent will need to be to hold this gathering. Revelation 7, verse 9. There's the fulfillment. That's the fulfillment of Isaiah 54, 1 through 4. That is the story of Naomi and Ruth. That is the story of Israel. That is the story of God's plan of redemption in the scriptures. We are saved by faith alone, through Christ alone, by God's grace alone, so that we boast in God and in him alone. That's why God receives all praise, all glory, all honor. And that's why we sing him all praise, glory, and honor. For he has done what only he can do. That's why to understand this in full and what this means for us is to look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, here we have the Apostle Paul expressing what it is, not only that the church is the ultimate fulfillment of the promises given to Israel, that the church of every tribe, nation, language is ultimately the fulfillment of the covenant promise given to Abraham through his offspring, which is ultimately Jesus Christ, But ultimately, the singing for joy and fearing not and no longer having shame because of the birth of God that he brings about through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to all those who are brought to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we see in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Here the Apostle Paul is giving a contrast again with the Judaizers, the circumcision party, and those who are coming in to these young churches and trying to peddle self-righteousness, works-righteousness, and ultimately trying to peddle Ishmael to the people. And he keeps fighting against that distortion of the gospel. So Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision, and he's speaking to Jew and Gentile alike, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That's it. All our sinful flesh could produce is sin, that brings forth death, spiritual barrenness. We cannot produce anything that brings about life in and of ourselves. The Apostle Paul made clear, verse four, though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh. So if one could bring about their own salvation in any way according to the works of their flesh, Paul's saying, he could have done it. If anyone could have done it, it was the apostle Paul. That's what he says in verse four. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse five, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That is what Christ accomplishes on the cross. That is what the Holy Spirit applies to all those whom God is calling and drawing and making alive. That is the new birth. That is the birth to the power of the Spirit that brings about the people of God that fulfills all of God's promises. When Christ alone is your righteousness, your salvation, and your hope, then you can do what Isaiah 54 verse 4 says. Remember Isaiah 54 verse 4? Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. That only takes place in understanding the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's only by understanding Philippians 3, verses 3 through 9, that we can do what Paul does in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, to what lies ahead. There it is. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no longer condemnation. All our shame, all our disgrace has been removed. Our reproach has been removed. We are no longer estranged. We are adopted children. We are the bride of Christ. We are the children of the living God in whom he has placed the righteousness of his son, in whom he dearly loves, whom he is well-pleased. That's why Hebrews makes the most amazing statements when it says that we can with confidence and boldness approach the throne of our heavenly father. Enter right in. That's the amazing grace. And that is the birth that only God can produce. And that's why he receives all praise, glory, glory. And honor, Let us pray. Oh, Father, how wondrous you are. How gracious and mighty good and good you are. Father, we pray that you would just continue to remind us. We once were lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. We were death, but now we hear. We were dead, but now we're alive. This is all due to you. So Father, we pray that you would remind us to sing, to rejoice, to give you glory in all circumstances, knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. I invite you to please rise and sing with me. Number 496. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art. service. After a time of fellowship, we will have an opportunity where we'll be showing an interview with the missionary we are supporting in Romania. So I just want to make note of that after our fellowship time. Let us receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with a doxology.